Recording in progress. All right, hi everybody. The <coughs> the topic for tonight is Rosh Hashanah according to Pshutei Shel Mikra. So we're not going to do uh, focus on the Ramban tonight. There really isn't much in the way of Rambans and Parshas Nitzavim. Uh, the same way there's not much in the way of Rambans either in Parshas Kisavai. Um, although in, in Kisavai there was a lot that one could say from the Ramban back in B'chukhoisai. But as we're coming to Rosh Hashanah, uh, we'll switch topics tonight to focus on uh, Rosh Hashanah and specifically Rosh Hashanah as a matter of Pshutei Shel Mikra. Because if you look in Chumash, if you look in Tanakh, you don't get much in the way of what Rosh Hashanah is as a Yantif. Most of the Yom Tevim, the Torah is telling us something that we're celebrating. That is, we understand that Pesach is celebrating in Siyas Mitzrayim, Shavuos and Sukkot are celebrating harvest festivals, and Sukkot specifically a, <coughs> a, a commemoration, a remembrance of Basukas Teshu Shivas Yomim, Laman Yedu Derisechem Kibasukas Hashavti Esbene Israel. Sukkot is a remembrance, a commemoration of the Sukkot that we sat in after Yitzhak Mitzrayim. Yom Kippur is Kibayim Aleichem Eschem. The Torah is telling us things about each holiday. But when it comes to the Yantif of Rosh Hashanah, the Torah is very laconic. The Torah tells us in two places, in Chumash, what the Yantif of Rosh Hashanah is. We see in Parshas Penchas, when the Torah is enumerating the various Karbanos, the Torah says, in the seventh month, on the first of the month, it's a holy day, it's a Mikra Kaidesh. So you shouldn't do any work on that day. It's to be a day of Trua. And then, if you look in Parshas Emmar, where the Torah is listing the various different holidays, in Parshas Emmar we see that the Torah says, on again the first day of the seventh month, Yelachem Shabbosin, it should be for you a Shabbos, it should be for you a day of rest. Zichrain Tura Mikra Kaidesh, it should be a remembrance, a, a, a commemoration, a acknowledgement, re acknowledgement of a Trua, and it should be a holy day. We shouldn't do any work. We craft to me, Hashem, you bring karbanos. That is it. There's only places in Chumash that we talk about Rosh Hashanah. And what we're defining it as is as a day of Trua, or as a day of remembrance of Trua. Either Yem Trua or Yem Zichrin Trua. That doesn't give you a lot to work on. But before we get to what Chazal thought, and proving what Chazal thought, it's always good to look intertextually, to see if we can find other places in Tanakh that discuss what it is that we're looking to understand. And then that will help edify from Tanakh itself what the meaning is, perhaps, of this day of Rosh Hashanah. 
So if we look at Nehemiah, very end, right at the end of the the prophecy, the end of the first bias, the Jewish people are coming back to rebuild the second base uh, Hamikdash. The Jewish people return to the land of Israel, and we know Asar Yuchsan only Bavel. They didn't return on Moss. They didn't return in their multitudes. They came. They came in their stragglers. And generally the people that came, like when it came to leaving for the new world, the people who left the old world were people who had nothing to lose. They were either very adventurous or they had nothing to lose. People landed, uh, titled folks that had things to lose, they didn't leave. And the same is true in Bavel. The people that were successful, they didn't make Aliyah, they did not go to Eretz Yisrael. The people that were all in Bavel were the weakest links of the Jewish people. And Ezra Nechem is full of the exhortations, telling these people how to behave, what not to do. And the Pasuk tells us how they celebrated that Rosh Hashanah. Pasuk says, The seventh month came along, and the Jewish people were in their cities. They all gathered like one to the street, that is, by the water gate. So came time for the seventh month, and everybody's getting together on the street by the water gate. And they said to Ezra, They should bring the Sefer Torah. And Ezra brings the Sefer Torah in front of the people. There were men and women in that multitude. And anyone else who potentially understood what was being said. On the first day of the seventh month. So the way they celebrated Rosh Hashanah in the times of Ezra, everyone gathered together like one, men and women, and they went to the water gate. And Ezra read for them from the Torah. And he read a lot from the Torah. His learning was quite long. It wasn't like our learning today. The Pazik tells us he read from the Torah from the beginning of the morning ad until the afternoon. He read for a long time from the Torah. Opposite the men and the women and those that understood. And the ears of the whole congregation were to the Sefer Torah. Ezra was standing on some sort of a platform, on some sort of a beam, like we discussed last week. A bima doesn't have any any uh, holiness in the olden days when we refer to a bima, when we're talking about a, a stand, a stage that the person was standing on. So Ezra was standing on a stage. <coughs> they had made <coughs> specifically for the occasion to be able to read out the Torah publicly. And he had various people who were standing next to him. And Ezra opened up the Torah in front of all the people and he, and he, and he read from it all day. And the Pazik says that he... I'm sorry, not all day. He read the, the first half of the day. 
And then Ezra blessed the people, and the people said, Amen, and they all bowed down to Hashem. And the Pasuk then says like this, um, The Levim, they were assisting in terms of making the people understand what Ezra was reading. And they understood what was being read to them. And then, Nehemiah, who are Tishta, the Ezra, Kaina Sefer, Valvima, Mavinus, Amlachalam, all the people, Ezra, the Levim, the various different folks, they all tell the people like this Hayem Kadeshu Lashem Lekechem, today is a holy day. Al Tisablu, do not act like you're in Avelis, do not act like you're in mourning. Ve'al tifku, and don't cry. Don't cry on Rosh Hashanah. Why? Ki baychem kala'am. Because all the people were crying. Kishamam as When they heard Ezra reading the Torah to them, they were all crying. So Ezra and, and, and company are telling the Jewish people not to cry. And he continues. Ve'yoyim and Ezra says to them, Go home and eat good foods and drink good drinks. And send presents, send presents of food. Like, Go send presents of food. Whoever didn't have a chance to prepare. Because today is a holy day for Hashem. And don't be sad. Hashem's pleasure, Hashem's joy is your strength. And the Levim kept on hushing the people who were crying and said to them, Hasu, be silent, don't be sad, today is a holy day. The people went home after Ezra finished reading them the Torah. They went home to eat and to drink and to send Shalachmanas and to make a great Simcha. Because they understood the words that were explained to them, that they were informed of. And on the second day, that tells you that Rosh Hashanah being kept as a two day Yantif, even in Eretz Yisrael, where they normally only keep one day Yantif. Rosh Hashanah was kept as a two-day antif already by the times of Ezra. And on the second day, in Eretz Yisrael, they still kept as a holiday. All the leaders of the people got together. They all got together. And to understand the Torah. They found out that it's written in the Torah. That there has to be a sukkah. They have to keep a holiday of sukkah in the Chodesh Hashavi on the 15th day. And that is where we'll stop. But that is the description of how they celebrated Rosh Hashanah in the days of Ezra Sefer. That is, the people didn't know exactly how to celebrate it. Ezra explained it to them. They read from the Torah for half a day. And the people were crying. They were very sad about what they heard. But everybody and Ezra told the people not to cry. 
Because today is not a sad day. Today is a holy day. Today you eat, you drink, and you send Shalachmanas forever doesn't have prepared food. And so that's what they did. They went home and they ate and they drank and they sent Shalachmanas. That is how Rosh Hashanah was celebrated. In the one time that Rosh Hashanah is mentioned and Tanakh is being celebrated, this is where we see it. There is another time where it's mentioned a little bit about Rosh Hashanah. Not in Nehemiah, but in Ezra. In Ezra, it's mentioned a little bit about Rosh Hashanah. The Pazik tells over there, The seventh month came along, and the Jewish people were in the cities. And everybody came together as one. It sounds exactly the same like we learned in Nehemiah. Over here it adds one point, which is, Here it says that they built a Mizbeach so they could bring up Eilis. Right, because this was a situation where the people were were um, celebrating Yantif, and the Torah tells us in Pashas Pinchas the various sacrifices that are required on Rosh Hashanah. So that's what they did. And and from the first day of this month, of the seventh month, they began to bear bring karbonas to Hashem. But this is even before the Beis Hamikdash was fully built out. So this is what we see how they celebrated Rosh Hashanah in Tanakh. It was a day of of, of happiness. It was Kiched Hashem Himuuzchem. It was a day of, of of eating and drinking. It was a day of sending Shalach Manis. And as the again the Pasik told us, the Simcha to make it a happy day. So it is, as I say, the only description of how Rosh Hashanah was celebrated in the Torah. The idea that Yom Kippur was a day when the girls would go out in the vineyards and, and sing and dance and, um, uh, and and make you know the circle dances um, and 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 you know tell the boys what they should be looking for. This is not something in the Torah. This is something that we learn about from Chazal. Mishnah tells us, but it's not something in the Torah. Here, this description of how Rosh Hashanah was celebrated is actually in Tanakh. And it helps understand how they understood Rosh Hashanah. That's part one. The Ramban, as I point, as I said before, I didn't mention his name. The Ramban, they call Kisvei the Ramban. They have a drasha for him from Rosh Hashanah. And the drasha from Rosh Hashanah he opens with this question, which is, he says, out of all the other mitzvahs in the Torah, I'm sorry, all the other holidays in the Torah. The Torah tells you the reason for a celebration. But Rosh Hashanah, the Torah is not telling you anything. The Torah tells you it's a Yem Trua or Yem Zichon Trua. What I'd like to suggest tonight is that the Torah is telling you exactly what the day is about as a matter of Pshat. And while the Torah seems to be laconic in not elaborating on what that means, you can figure it out intertextual, you can figure it out what the Torah is trying to say. And that would answer the Ramban's question of the fact that the Torah doesn't tell you what the reason is for Rosh Hashanah. So what do we call Rosh Hashanah and Chazal? When we daven on Rosh Hashanah, we need to remember that there are different parts of davening, right? There's obviously parts of davening that are the piyutim that came in later. And then there's the parts of Davin that was actually said by Chazal. That is very, very, very small 
relative to the maxa that we have, because the maxa that we have includes lots and lots of piyutim, pizmainim, things that were added in over time. How do Chazal refer to Rosh Hashanah? They refer to it as the Yom Hazikaron. We mentioned the Yom Hazikaron repeatedly, whether it's in Kiddush, whether it's in Avdala, whether it's in the Haftar, whether it's in Shemana Esrei. Rosh Hashanah is the day of memory. Literally, Rosh Hashanah is the Yom Hazikaron, the day of memory. How did Chazal, who understood things in such a deep way, and be able to so concisely take out the Tamtis Hadavar of what Rosh Hashanah is and define it as the day of memory. What told them? That Rosh Hashanah is a day of memory. So, I think in order to understand this, again, we have to look at the mentions in the Chumash that we find about Shoifer, that we find talking about things like a Tekiya or a Trua. And there are a number of different places in Chumash where you could see this. I'd like to discuss is Parshas Behar. In Parshas Behar, the Torah tells us that there is going to be a parallel to the seven days of creation. There's going to be a seven-year cycle. In the same way there's a seven-day cycle, there's a seven-year cycle. And every seven years of Shemitah, we're living through one right now. And at the end of the seven years cycle of Shemitah, there's going to be a 50th year, which was going to be known as the Jubilee, the Yevil year. So the Torah says, when you're going to come to the land of Eretz Yisrael, v'shov so'aret Shabbos l'Hashem. You're going to have to keep the Shemitah rules. You're going to have to keep the land fallow. Sheish shonim tizrasodecha, v'sheish shonim tizmarkamecha, v'asavtes tivuasa. For six years you can work the land, no problem, no issues, no question asked. But of Ashon is Shabbos Shabbos and Yel Aretz, Shabbos l'Hashem, on the seventh year, then the land is going to be like resting, like a Shabbos. This is not a Shabbos that we're talking about for a human being, that the human being is having a Shabbos. This is the land is going to have a Shabbos. The same way the human being is not allowed to work the land. Here, the land itself gets a Shabbos. The human being cannot work the land, not just on the seventh day, but in the seventh year. You can't, you can't work the land not for grapes, not for other um, types of produce. And the Torah says, Land is free for anyone to come and eat. It's all Hefker. And it's not just for people, it's also for the animals. Anybody could eat. And you're going to count for yourself seven years. You're going to count it. You're going to count seven years of this Shemitah idea seven times. And when you count out seven different times of this cycle, 
You're going to hit 49 years. And what happens when you hit the 49th year? Then you're going to pass the shafer in the seventh month, meaning you're going to blow the shafer in the seventh month. On the tenth of the month, you should blow that shafer, pass that shafer around through all your lands. That fiftieth year is going to become holy in itself. You're going to declare freedom for everybody in the land. This is Yevel. And and land returns back. Land that was sold returns back to the original owners. This is called the Yevel this 50th year. And in this year, you got to keep, again, the land lying fallow. Why? It's a very holy year. And, again, the land returns back to its original owners. This is how the Torah refers to the mitzvah of Yevel. What happens during the mitzvah of Yevel? You're going to sound the Shefer Truah in the seventh month, on the tenth of the month, on Yom Kippur. So now you see the word Truah, which we had. Right, We had the word Truah in Parshas Pinchas, where we said that the day of Rosh Hashanah is called the Yom Truah. And we had in Parshas Emar, where the Torah called in Parshas Emar, the Yantaf of Rosh Hashanah as the Yom Zichor in Truah. Here we're saying we're going to pass through or blow the Shefer Truah. So that already should be raising the antenna that what we're talking about when we talk about a Truah is not just a Truah in relation to the day of Truah of Rosh Hashanah, but also to a Shefer Truah. There is a relationship between a Shefer and a Truah blast. And of course, again, we see by Yevel the same idea that we saw by Rosh Hashanah, that it's Kaddash, that it's a holy day, that it's a Shabbosin. We see those similarities there as well. But the key thing is to recognize that the word Trua is appended to a Shefer. Let's keep on going. If you look now in Parshas Yisroi, in Parshas Yisroi, the Torah tells us, in Parshas Yisrael, the Torah tells us about what the Jewish people experienced, and it also tells us rules about what the Jewish people had to do after Matan Torah. So the Torah says, In the third month, in Chayadah Sivan, the Jewish people came to Midbar Sinai, and they traveled through, and Hashem tells him that, listen, you see everything that happened. I've taken you out on the wings of a of a griffin vulture, and I brought you here. Vata im shemoya tishmu bekeli ushmartem es brisif. Now, if you're going to listen to me, v'isem lisugulam mikol ha'am and you're going to be my treasure nation. 
because the world belongs to me. You're going to be, for me, a nation of priests. And the Pazik says that Moshe brings these words that Hashem told him to the Jewish people. He tells them everything that he heard. And people will say, right? they're interested in accepting what Hashem is putting out on offer. So Moshe Rabbeinu brings the words of the Jewish people back to Hashem. And thus begins the process of Mount Torah. So Hashem says to Moshe Rabbeinu, Go back to the people and then give them the following command. Now that they're interested in accepting the deal that I have an offer, that they're going to listen to my words and they're going to be for me my treasure nation. They're going to be for me a nation of priests. So tell them this is what they have to do in order to be able to be ready for the moment when I'm going to give them my words. What do they have to do? They have to do laundry. And they have to make themselves holy. And after three days of this preparation, on the third day, on the third day, Hashem is going to come down on our Sinai. And the people will be standing around the mountain. Make sure that they don't come too close. Make a gvul between them and the mountain. They should be very careful. They shouldn't come to the mountain. Because whoever is going to touch the mountain is going to die. And the Pasuk continues. Right again, you can't touch the mountain. Whether it's a man or beast, no one's going to survive if they come and touch the mountain. But after Yevel, that's when they can come up on the mountain. At that point, the Shechina would have quote unquote receded such that it's safe to go onto the mountain. So Moshe comes down to the people. And he is Makadish, the people. They wash their clothing. And he says to them, Be ready for this moment that's going to happen in three days. I'll take Shalisha, no intimacy for the next few days. And what happens next is on that fateful day, on that third day, in the morning, there's tremendous cacophony, tremendous noise. The mountain is shuddering, there's thunder, thunderous thunder. There's tremendous cloud cover, lightning bolts, noise. The curl shofar chazak moed. There's a tremendous sound of the shofar. And the people are tittering. They're shuddering. Right? We have Vayecharad. We have Vayecharad in, in Parashas. Told us when after Yitzchak gives Yaakov the brachas, and then all of a sudden, Esav comes in. I mean, and Esav says, "Who are you?" And he says, "I'm Esav. Here is the food I brought. The delicacies. Give me a bracha." Yitzchak became very terrified. 
Or we have also in Rus, the Basik tells us there that Rus uncovered his feet. It's the nighttime in the barn. It's cold. And the Pasuk says, right, He's very afraid. He's, he's shaking awake. What's going on? Some unknown woman is sitting by his feet. He doesn't know what's going on. He's very scared. So the Jewish people, in both of these cases, right? I think you see something very interesting. In both of the cases, Pasha's told us, as well as in Rus, the charada is coming from something shocking. Something is unwarranted. In the case of Yitzchak, he thought he just gave the bracha to Esav. And now somebody's coming in and identifying himself as Esav? What did he just do? In the case of, of Bayez, it's the middle of the night. And you and all of a sudden you're you're roused awake. Something sudden, there's something scary in the suddenness. If the Torah is using the word charada here, it's implying that despite the fact that they were preparing themselves for three days, there was still something incredibly shocking and terrifying that was happening at Arsinai. In other words, the awesomeness of the moment was shocking, even though they had been preparing for it. It just simply went beyond all the possible preparations. So the positive Yechar call they're all terrified. And then we have the whole story. Maitri Rabbeinu goes out to Lakras Alakim, Minamachana, and he's standing beside Sa'ar, he's standing on the bottom of the mountain. And the Pazik says, Varsina Arshan Kulay. The mountain is Mamish smoking. Why? Because the Kharish Broken came down the mountain in fire. And it's like uh, you know, smoking like from a from an oven. And it's not just the people that are terrified. It's like the mountain is having charada. How can an inanimate object shudder? How can an inanimate object be petrified? That's what we're talking about at Sinai. That's the kind of a moment. That's what gives Chazal the strength to talk about how the Jewish people, when they heard the word Anoichi, they, as it were, they all died. Even inanimate objects were having charada, like the mountain, like Harsinai itself. The Pesach continues and says, The Kol Shefer is incredibly strong, incredibly powerful. Meishu Rabbeinu is the only one who is able to keep on speaking. Recall that in the end of Parshas Ba'aloyzcha, when Miriam and Aaron spoke, when they spoke about Meishu in a negative way, about the Isha Akushis that he had married, and they said, Does he only talk to Moses? He also talks to us. At that time, Moshe doesn't say anything. But Hashem comes to defend the honor of Moshe. And Hashem tells them, is of a genre that's entirely, of an order, it's an order of magnitude that's entirely different than anything you can relate to. By you, it's Bachalema Dabar Boy. 
by you. I speak to you b'mara. I speak to you b'chidus. I speak to you when you're sleeping, unconscious. I, I, I speak to you in parables. I speak to you in a way that won't absolutely put you in petrified terror and take your life away. It's only Meshur Rabbeinu that can withstand it. And Meshur Rabbeinu, as it were, is such an intimate relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, he speaks to him mouth to mouth. So Meshur Rabbeinu is speaking and HaKadosh Baruch Hu is answering with a curl, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is answering with, with noise. And Hashem tells Meshur Rabbeinu, make sure the Jewish people don't come too close, because if they do, they will die. They also have to remain separate because they also will not be able to withstand. And Meshur Rabbeinu says to Hashem, they're not coming too close, everybody understands, they're going to stay far away. Because you already told us to make a border, to make a separation, because the mountain is going to be you know, become very holy, very separated out, and no one can come close. And then we have that Sarah Dibras. So what we see from the parish of Mount Terah is again that there's a curl for here. <coughs> the Torah doesn't tell us exactly what sounds the shofar was making. It tells us that the shofar was chazak. It was a curl shofar. The sound of the shofar. We don't know what kinds of sounds the shofar was making, but the shofar combined with everything else was absolutely petrifying. But what was Har Sinai about? Arsina was about, as it were, whatever it means, Kaviyachal. The descent of HaKadosh Baruch Hu from the Ginzei Meraimim to here on earth, to Matan Torah on Harsinai, to some specific, spatial, physical place. And you have the Shafer blowing. You have everything shaking. Heralding the arrival of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And we see that when you're heralding the arrival of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, you have a Kol Shoifer. You have many other things as well. But you see the Shoifer is part and parcel of the arrival, as it were, whatever that means, of HaKadosh Baruch Hu at Harsina. Of course, over here we also again have Kedusha, repeatedly mentioned, and we also have Yaival again, that only after Yaival would this holiness recede and people could go back on Harsina. So what we've seen so far is that as a matter of Shudesh Shel Mikra, when we have a Trua, a Trua signifies something. We haven't discussed what, but we know that Rosh Hashanah is a day of Trua. We know that it was celebrated by the people with crying. And they were rebuked and said not to cry because it's a day of Simcha Gedele. It's a day where Ched Hashem Hashem It's a day of Achila and Shesia and Mishleach Manais. We also saw that a Trua relates to a Shefer. Because by Yevel, they take a Shefer Trua and they blow it around the land on the 10th day on Yom Kippur in the 50th year. And we see that that 50th year is a year of Kedusha. It's seven Shabbos times seven. We also see now 
that the shofar is used to herald the arrival of Hakadosh Baruch Hu. So now I want to take it one step further and focus on what is a trua. If we look, <coughs> if we look in Parshas Baalaischa, the Torah mentions that there was a command that the Jewish people had to make two chatzotzeres. They had to make these two, like, uh, horns, not shoifers. They're made out of silver. Why do they have to make it? <coughs> in order to call the people, and in order to make the people travel. And the Torah tells us what happens after different sounds. Visaku bahain. If you're going to make it tkiyah, then everybody's going to gather and go to the oil ma'id. But if you don't do both chatzaytzerets making it tkiyah, you only do one of the chatzaytzerets making it shuah. I'm sorry, making it tkiyah. So if you have both, both chatzaytzerets blowing tkiyah, then everybody comes to the pesach oil ma'id. If you only have one of the chatzotzeres blowing a tekiah, then the nesiim come. Only the nesiim come. Only the leaders, not the whole Jewish people. What happens if you blow a trua? Uskatem trua. What happens if you blow a trua, not a tekiah? Then they start traveling. Then the 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 Jewish people. We learned also in Paris Baloischa that the, there were four different sections, right? The east, west, and the north, and the south. So if you blow one shrua, then the people um, on the eastern side of the machna, they start to travel. Uskatim shrua sheinis, when you blow a second shrua, then the ones in the south start to travel. You blow a shrua in order to make the camp move. Again, as the Torah said, why do you have the Chatzot rights? For two reasons. One, to call the people to the Ayomayed. And two, to have them travel, to know when to go. And the Pasuk continues, When you want to gather the people, then then you blow Tzikiyas, you don't blow Truas, like we learned. If you blew both chatzotzeres at tekiah, so then all the people came to the Ayamite. If you blew only one of the chatzotzeres at tekiah, then only the nesiim come. So the pasuk is reiterating: When you want to gather the people together, blow tekiah, not a truah. Who's the one who blows the, the chatzotzeres? The children of Aaron. This should be a rule for you forever. Then the Pasuk continues. So we learned that the first use of the Chatzotzeres, the Hakil HaSakol, to gather the people, to gather the Nesim, and also to be Master and Machinus, also to travel, to make everybody travel. And the different kinds, right? There's the Tkia with one Chatzotzeres, Tkia with two Chatzotzeres, there's one Trua, there's two Truas, then the Pasuk says, What happens if you have a war? You have a war that erupts. You should blow a trua. 
<coughs> you blow a trua. If there was a war that erupts, you blow a trua. And you'll be remembered before God. Blowing a trua in the time of suffering, in a time of fear, in a time of trouble, that, as it were, makes you remembered before Hashem. And you'll be saved from your enemies. And on your happy days, on your days of celebration, your celebratory days, on your holidays, on your mayadechem, on those days, then then you don't blow a trua, then you blow tzkia, you blow tzkia with the chatzoytzros, aloyseichem vazvecheshalmechem, on all the various carbonas that you're bringing, vahayulachem lezikarain, and will be for you for remembrance. Zefnei lekechem. Before Hakadosh Baruch Hu, Ani Hashem Lekechem. What do we see from this in Parshas Vayeischa? We see that there was a notion then of different types of blasts. There's tkias and there's truas. The Torah doesn't explain here exactly what a tkia is versus what a trua is, but perhaps it was self-evident. What is a tkia? What is a trua? And the Torah is saying that there's different blasts for different events and different occasions. The initial usage of the Chatzotzrites was to gather the people or to gather the leaders or to cause the people to travel. To gather everybody or to gather the leaders, you either blew a Tkia on two Chatzotzrites or on one. To get the people to travel, you either blew one Trua or you blew two Truas depending on which parts of the camp. What that tells us is only one part, however, of the usage of the Chatzotzritz. That's the usage of the Chatzotzritz in the Machna. But when you come into the land of Israel, then you're going to have potentially wars are going to erupt. And when a war erupts, then you should blow on your Chatzotzritz. When a war is going to erupt in the land of Israel, blow on those Chatzotzritz. What kind of a blast should you blow on those chatzaytzers? The Torah says, you should blow a trua. That means a trua is associated with a problem. A trua is associated with a troubled time. A trua is associated with a war. And then if you blow a trua, you'll be remembered before Hashem. And then you blow a tzikia. When do you blow a tzikia? You blow a tzikia on your happy days. On your Mayadim, on your Rosh Chodesh. You blow Tzkiah. Tzkiah is on your celebratory days, your days of celebration. Then you blow Tzkiah, and you'll be remembered. You'll be remembered before HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So in both cases, blowing a Tzkiah or blowing a Tzkiah, you'll be remembered before HaKadosh Baruch Hu. But they have different uses. Pasuk continues in the end of Bamidbar, in Parshas Matos, we learn about the final command from Meshur Rabbeinu that he had to take the war. Um, he had to wage a war against Midian. And after that, Meshur Rabbeinu was to, to die. Says the Pasuk, <coughs> now what did the Jewish people do when they went to go fight the war? 
Moshe sent them to go find There's Pinchas bin Elazar Akain Latsova. He sent them along with Pinchas. Uchlea Kaidesh, and they had the Klee Kaidesh with them. And he went along with the Chatzaitzers Hatrua. Here, the Chatzaitzers, like the Shafer in Parshas Behar, where we said Shafer Trua, here it's called the Chatzaitzers Hatrua. The Chatzaitzers are called Chatzaitzers Hatrua. Why were they called Chatzaitzers Hatrua? We know Chatzaitzers could also be used for Tekiah. But obviously, here these are called the Chatzaitzers Hatrua. Why? Because they're going out to fight a war. Now it happens to be this is not a war by Artsakhan, this is a war outside of Eretz Israel. But nevertheless, they brought the Chatzaitzrites, and they call Chatzaitzatshua presumably for the same reason, because it's a time of trouble, it's a time of fear, it's a time of, of, of potential calamity. So you blow the Chatzaitzrites, you blow a Trua, you blow the Tikias on your happy days, and you blow your Truas on your days of trouble. So what we see now is that our 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 yom trua or yom zichron trua is starting to be built out pretty well. We see that a trua is associated with a shayfer. We see that a trua is associated with. I'm sorry. You see that the shayfer is associated with announcing, heralding the arrival of Hakadosh Baruch Hu. And you see that when you blow these blasts. You remembered before Akarish Bohu. Whether you blow Tikiya Satruas, you remembered before Akarish Bohu. And you see that you blow these kinds of blasts on your happy days and on your scary days. Now you might ask, okay, but at the end of the day, the Torah just says Yaim Trua or Yaim Zichroin Trua. The Torah doesn't say it should be with a Shafer. Why can't it be done with the Chatzaitzerts? It's a good question. The Gemara already asked the question. The Gemara in Rosh Hashanah says, Minayin, Minayin Shebesh Shefer. How do we know that the Avoida of Rosh Hashanah, that we're doing all these blasts, is done with a Shefer? Maybe it could be done with something else. Maybe it could be done with Chatzaitzerts. The Gemara answers, That's what the Pasuk tells us, that you're going to, Blow the shofar trua. You're gonna blow the shofar, um, um, which blasts the truas. The ritva here is a very nice ritva, and the ritva says what the gemara is meaning to tell you is like this: by Rosh Hashanah, the Torah doesn't say what you blow with. It doesn't say the implement that you get the blast of the trua out of. It just says yem trua, yem zichron trua. But it doesn't tell you anything else. Like Siv Ela Trua, Veleka Zecha Bedavar Shetei Beshefer. It doesn't say they have to do with a Shefer. Veleshetei Ima Kalpash. It doesn't say they should do with a Tzkiya. It just says Trua. So, how do I know that you're supposed to do with a Shefer? Says the Gemara, because it says Ve'avar to Shefer Trua. Because the Pasuk says in Parshas Behar that you pass along the Shefer Trua. <coughs> Therefore, I know when it says Yem Trua, it, it has to be done with a Shafer. But let's read Parshas Behar carefully. Parshas Behar says you blow a Shafer Trua, yes. But when is that? That's in the 50th year. What does it have to do with year 1 through 49? 
Why are we blowing a shofar during that time? You can blow a chatzetz during that time. In other words, shofar true is true for the fiftieth year on Yom Kippur. But what does that have to do with anything else? What does that have to do with the year one through forty-nine? Why can't you blow a chatzetz hatshua? So the Ritzvah says for this, what the Gemara is telling you is Tam Hashvi'i. If you look at the Pasuk carefully there, the Torah says, V'avarta shefer trua b'chodesh ha-shvi'i be'ozer l'chodesh b'yoyim ha-kippurim. The Torah says that you're going to blow the shefer in the seventh month, on the tenth of the month, on Yom Kippur. Frek the Ritva, why does the Torah need to be telling me that I'm blowing that shefer in the seventh month, on the tenth of the month, on Yom Kippur? I know already what I'm talking about. I know already from the context of the psukim over there, I could already know when it is. I could already know what the date is. I don't have to keep on identifying it with every possible permutation. Says the Ritva, The Torah already told you beforehand, The Torah already told you that you have 49 years, and the Torah could have just said that you blow the Shefer Trua on the 10th of the month that finished it out the 49 years. <coughs> and I would know that that's Yom Kippur on the 10th month of, of, of Tishrei. Of course I know that that's Yom Kippur already because I already know that. I don't need to tell you that here. I'm telling you not only that it's the seventh month. Not only which, uh, uh, not only that, it's also the tenth of the seventh month. And not only that, it's also Yom Kippur. I don't need to identify it so carefully. I already know what it is. If I just simply said, We all know what Yom Kippur is. It's in the seventh month. It's on the tenth of the month. I already learned that before. So why is the Torah telling you the Turkey just say like the Avayta Shefer Trua Yom Kippur, and I will know it's the tenth month, uh, the tenth day of the seventh of the um, of the seventh month. Why do I have to identify it so much? Says the Ritva, the Gemara is telling you, if the Torah is coming along and telling you that you do a Shefer Trua on the tenth of the month, which is uh, uh, the seventh month, which is Yom Kippur, the Torah is giving you all this extraneous, unnecessary ways to identify the day. Because of the fact that we are already blowing the Shefer Trua throughout the seventh month. So therefore I want you to know that the specific blast here is on the tenth of the month. This specific blast for Yevil is a different blast than the one we would otherwise do, which is when? In the seventh of the month, on the first of the month. That's what the Ritva is explaining the Gemara is trying to say. The Gemara asks, How do I know that we're blowing a Yem Trua? How do I know it's a Shefer? Maybe it could be a Chatzayt's rights. Says the Ritva, the fact that the Torah, the Gemara says, explains the Ritva, what does that mean? It means that the Torah is telling you, you blow the Shefer on the fir- on the tenth day of the seventh month, which is Yem Kippur, all of which was, un- I didn't have to tell you all this detail, because I would know, just tell you blowing blow it in Yom Kippur, because the Torah is trying to tell you that there are other times in the seventh month that you're blowing the Shefer Trua. And when is that? That's, of course, Rosh Hashanah. So, what we see is that it is possible 
to blow both a shayfar or a chatzaytzeres, blow a trua on either way, because both the Torah says a chatzaytzeres trua and a shayfar trua. Both of them can be accomplished. But the avoid of Rosh is with a shayfar, not with a chatzaytzeres. And why is it a trua? Well, look at the day that we have. Look at the day that Rosh Hashanah is. It's a day of trua because it's a day when Hakadosh Baruch Hu, we are heralding His arrival, like we did on Har Sinai. And why are we heralding his arrival? Because the day that we are being remembered, when we are being remembered before Hashem, it's a day of trepidation. Makes perfect sense why we would blow a trua. And perhaps then, why are we blowing a tekiah along with it? Which the Torah didn't say. The Torah called it a yem trua, or yem zichor and trua, which we now understand. Why it would be a trua, and why it has to be associated with memory, and why Chazal are using this day as the ultimate yem azikaron? But why then? Why then, you might ask. Very nice. Everything is very good. It's very clear. It's all glot. But why, at the end of the day, are we adding in a tkia to it? And I tell you, because clearly, it's not just a day of trepidation. Like we learned in Ezra and Nehemiah. How did they celebrate Rosh Hashanah? It was a Simcha Gedolah. It was a happy day. It was a day of Achila, Shsia, Meshulach and on your happy days, you're supposed to blow tkiyas. As the Torah says, Rosh Hashanah is a complicated day. On the one hand, right, it's a day of judgment. On the other hand, we are very confident that Hashem is going to find us for the good and give us a year of life. We are standing on the knife edge, on the needle, right on the precipice, one side or the other side. And that's exactly how we celebrate Rosh Hashanah. Well, on the one hand, we are tittering. It's a Yom Adin. On the other hand, we're very confident that we'll be successful. So we have eating and drinking. This explains the Shefer, the Trua, and the Zikarin. Just one more thing to conclude. It's therefore not a far-fetched step, I think, as to how Chazal got to the understanding Rosh Hashanah to be the Yom Zikarin. And therefore, it makes perfect sense why Chazal decided that the Pusik, perfectly appropriate for Rosh Hashanah, the Pusik tells us, we say it in the Shir Shalyayim, <coughs> blow on the month, blow on the month, meaning on the new month, blow a shayfer, bakesef, when it's hidden, when what's hidden, when the moon is hidden, on the holy, on the on the holiday, When is the yontif that the chodesh is miskasa? We have a new month and the moon is hidden. This is the day of Rosh Hashanah, and the pasuk continues. This is a day of judgment for 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 the for the Jewish people, but you see even without coming on to this Pasuk in Tehillim, just from Pshutei Shalmirka, we could show why Rosh Hashanah is a Yem Adin. It's a Yem Adin because the Yem Azikaram, when HaKadosh Baruch Hu is remembering you, that is by definition a day of judgment. And that's why it perfectly fits well with the Pasuk from Tehillim that we bring. We should all be blessed with Exivus Yemateva, Gitke Ben Shtiyar.